It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected. And picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Bell into the middle of that line. And it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with a quarterback and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's Wednesday, which means it's time for Midweek with Manish. Manish Mehta covering the New York Jets for the Daily News. What's going on, Manish? How are you? I'm doing well, Scott. How are you? Not doing as well as Joe Flacco, Manish. Another year in the NFL for him. Although it is a very affordable deal for the Jets, we had the basic parameters on the contract last week, but now we have the actual numbers. What are they? Well, it's a one-year, $1.5 million deal. We knew that. Uh, uh, more specifically, the base salary is just over a $1 million. Uh, about 550000 of that is guaranteed. So for whatever reason, the Jets have to cut ties with him fairly soon. Uh, they'll only be on the hook for 550000 But that's not the plan, of course. They want Flacco to be... Sam Darnold's uh, backup in 2020. Uh, I just think there's a, an element to this story that's uh, getting underplayed, and that is his health. And I know that uh, you know there's a segment of the fan base that says well, it doesn't really matter that he's not healthy right now. He's only the backup. Uh, I think the bigger concern is when will he actually be fully healthy? He had come out last week and said he doesn't anticipate that being week one, and that shouldn't be uh, dismissed. Uh, to me, that is important. The fact that he said he will definitely not be ready for the start of the season is a big deal because players can get hurt in the first quarter of week one. They can get hurt in the fourth quarter of week 17. You just don't know. And Sam Darnold has missed time due to injury and illness in each of his first two seasons. And uh, the question I think that is most pertinent is if Sam Darnold were to leave week one at some point in Buffalo, and obviously nobody wants that to happen, but if he were to get injured, what is your confidence level that David Fales could come in and help the Jets win that game? And if it's not, if your answer is not reasonably confident, then I think we have a big problem here because it looks like Flacco will miss at least that Buffalo game. Who knows if he'll miss two games, three games, uh, maybe a month, uh, maybe starts the, the season on PUP. Uh, it's just an unknown right now. And, you know, Joe Flacco is great insurance if he can actually play. If he is not healthy, he does uh, you no good. I know that there's a, a mentorship angle to it. Uh, I, I think if you look at Joe Flacco's history, uh, he has in the past been resistant to assuming that role, whether it was two years ago in Buffalo, uh, in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson or last year in Denver with Drew Locke. Now, I do believe him when he says he's at a position and a stage in his career where he's okay with being a mentor, but he does have designs on being a starting quarterback uh, moving forward beyond 2020. Uh, 
that's not to say he's not going to help Sam Darnold. I, I think he will absolutely help Sam Darnold, but that's not the reason that he is here. In his mind, he's here to kind of rehabilitate himself from a physical standpoint and then get back out on the market next year to perhaps find a place to be a starting quarterback, even at his advanced stage. I don't know how reasonable that is, but that's clearly his mindset. Uh, but all of that being said, the most important question that Jets and the Jets fans need to know is when can they actually count on him if he's needed. And again, we don't know if or when he'll be needed. He could be needed five minutes into the season. Uh, but it's, it's clear right now, at least, that he's not going to be available in Buffalo. And again, I think that's fairly significant. One player that will be available for them, at least for the next four years, once he's healthy at least, is Bryce Hall, the fifth-round pick cornerback out of Virginia, the first rookie to sign his contract. Four years, $3.6 million. that's the slotted arrangement, but it's nice that they were able to at least get one of these guys under contract this quickly. Is it weird to you that the fifth-rounder was the first one signed, or is this fairly commonplace? Yeah, that's a standard operating procedure. I think if you go back... Uh at least the last 10 or 15 years. I don't know how things were done, you know, 20 years ago, but at least in the last decade or so, uh, the, the straightforward contracts uh, now, or pretty much all of them, uh, there's a potential twist with first-round picks, high first-round picks with offset language, but uh, by and large, these are all standard, and you do typically get uh, the later-round guys first. Uh, I remember, uh, I, I think it may have been the first year I was on the beat, uh, the first or second year I started covering the team full-time, uh, I remember John Connor, I, I believe he was the, the last pick in, in the draft of that he, the year he came in. He was the first guy who signed. And that's, that's typically how it goes. You know, things will jump around. It's not as, it's not as if it's, you know, fifth round, fourth round, third round necessarily in that order. But uh, typically the later round picks get signed first. Uh, ultimately, uh, with the rookie wage scale, it doesn't really matter. These are all slotted uh salaries uh you know bryce hall is getting a four-year 3.6 million dollar deal uh, i can tell you uh, the numbers uh for every other player in this draft class uh, for example when makai beckton signs his deal it's going to be a four-year uh about 18 and a half million dollar deal with about 11 million dollars in signing bonus his salary cap charge is going to be around 3.3 and 3.4 million dollars there's a fifth-year option uh Denzel Mims is going to sign a four-year deal for about $5.4 million, $1.5 million signing bonus. Uh, you know, even go down to Braden Mann. When he signs his deal, it's going to be a four-year, $3.5 million deal, somewhere in that neighborhood. His signing bonus is going to be about $177,000. So these numbers are already known. So the fact that Bryce Hall was the first guy to, to sign, I would anticipate in the coming days, coming weeks, that everybody else will get signed. There's not much mystery. There's, there's no time for holdouts. It's, it's extremely rare. It's not as if we're talking about the Darrell Revis days. If you remember, Revis was actually holding out for an extra year and signed, I think, a six-year contract. And uh, was I think that negotiation lasted about a month. So you don't get those, uh, you know, that kind of heavy lifting in negotiations anymore. It's pretty straightforward, rather routine. So Bryce Tall's the first guy. And, uh, you know, eventually we'll see the rest of these guys. Uh, James Morgan, for example, is going to sign a four-year, $4 million deal. That's 715000 signing bonus. So we already know the numbers. It's just a matter of when they put, uh, you know, pen to paper. 
We know how the rookies are going to impact the cap, and now we know how Tremaine Johnson will as well. He's finally off the books, but the way it's arranged, we now know exactly how it's going to work cap-wise for the Jets. So once you factor in the rookie pool that you were just talking about, which we can discuss in full, even without these guys signed, because as you said, they're slotted, and what happened with Tremaine Johnson, where do the Jets stand cap-wise at the moment? Well, the Jets have uh, $25.2 million in salary cap space officially. It's on the Players Association website. Uh, that's the official number. Uh, they got an additional $11 million to get to that $25 million mark uh, because the Jets had designated Tremaine Johnson as a post-June 1 cut. So, in essence, what that means is that Tremaine Johnson will count $4 million against this year's cap, uh, the downside is that he's going to count $8 million against the 2021 cap. You could have absorbed all of that money uh, if he was designated as a, a cut when the new league year began, but the Jets opted to spread out the money so there's less of a cap hit this year, more of a cap hit next year. Now, you know, in hindsight, perhaps that wasn't the smartest decision, only because – Next year's cap is going to be a flat cap where there's going to be less money. It's going to, the cap's going to drop because of what's going on, because of reduced revenues that teams are going to have. Uh, the Jets probably you couldn't foresee that necessarily when they decided to make Tremaine Johnson a post-June 1 cut. I also think, and I've discussed this really all off offseason, uh, an important thread to all of this is uh, the Jets' desire this offseason not to spend a lot of cash so, you know, the idea of spreading out the money, in theory, could hurt the team next year because the cap, again, is not going to jump. It's either going to stay flat or take a, you know, uh, take a dip, and you don't want $8 million of that cap to be taken up by Tremaine Johnson, who's not around. But that's a decision that the team's made. So the Jets have that $25 million or so in salary cap space, about $10 million of the remaining $25 million will be allotted to the rookie draft class uh, uh, there's some nuance in there, but uh, you know, just for a discussion standpoint, let's just call it ten million dollars. So we're essentially talking about fifteen million dollars, you know, give or take uh, a little bit uh, in amount that they have available. And uh, just going back to what I just said and what I've said over and over, uh, the salary cap space it takes the back seat to how much cash the, the team is actually willing to spend. So when we're talking about potential future free agent signings over the next couple months, the names that we've discussed multiple times, Logan Ryan, uh, which I, who I said a few weeks back, uh, I said that the Jets believe that they'll, that Logan Ryan will be on their team in 2020. Uh, a guy like Larry Warford, I know there's a segment of the fan base that wants him as well. Uh, I'm not sure if that's going to happen. I, I'm not saying it's not. Uh, I just uh, I'm not sure if that's going to happen. The bottom line is uh, the Jets have ample cap space even now. Whether it's you know thirteen, fourteen, fifteen million dollars, whatever it is, that that's not the issue. It's just a matter of whether the team is going to be willing to fork over uh, you know seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars to one or two players uh, over the next several months. Uh, there, there's actually some some complexity even within that. But uh, in terms of, uh, you know, what actually matters, what actually matters is how much cash is ownership willing to spend on anyone if if they are going to bring in somebody else who's still on the market. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax and get decent sleep. 
Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Some happy news in Jets land this week, Manish, as Joe Namath, the legend, the man of the guaranteed Super Bowl victory, turned 77 years old. If you don't know how much Joe Namath means to the Jets franchise and why, I suggest you do a Google search because we could do episodes (laughs) upon episodes on that. But I was curious, Manish, on this occasion... If you had any interesting Joe Namath stories to share, because I know that Joe Namath is still around quite a bit. He shows up at camp. He shows up around the team, and I'm sure that you've dealt with him plenty. So I thought that there might be some entertaining stories that you could tell us. Well, there's one story that if you're a diehard Jet fan, you've probably already seen and heard. It it was when he went up to Cortland when the Jets were on hard knocks, and uh, he was giving Mark Sanchez a tutorial on how to take a snap in a meeting room. And uh, I just remember talking to Sanchez about that after the episode aired. And uh, Mark was just effusive in uh, in being around, uh, you know, being around uh, Namath and listening to Namath's advice. And uh, I think anyone who has spent even a little amount of time uh, around Joe Namath uh, from a media standpoint, I, mean, I can't speak. To, to a fan standpoint, but anyone who's been a reporter, obviously when he was playing, but you know, who's been around him in the past, you know, ten or fifteen years, will tell you uh, just what an engaging guy he is. Uh, he loves telling stories. He's a, and he's he's honest. And I think that you know, in fact, I know that there was some tension in the organization uh, or between the organization and Joe 
you know, about a decade or so ago, some friction, maybe with Woody. Uh, I, I don't know the details beyond that. Uh, I think uh, it might have been just something as simple as Joe criticizing the team when he thought they needed to be criticized. And that was one of the things that I, you know, respected about Joe right off the bat when I, you know, first interacted with him. And it hasn't been that many times. It's been a handful of times, I'd say, you know, in the course of my career. Uh, I did speak to him for about an hour and a half one day uh, over the phone when he was uh, at home in Florida, and we were talking about a, a number of different things. And it was one of the one of the, the, the most memorable conversations I've had with a Jets personality in, in the last 15 years. Now, this is Joe Namath, right? He's a Hall of Fame player. Uh, at that time, I think we had spoken briefly once prior to that. So he didn't really know me. And uh, it was just a very interesting conversation. He's got a lot of uh, football knowledge in him. He's got a lot of stories to tell. And, again, I think that the thing that I respected the most about Joe from the beginning was just how honest he is. And sometimes, you know, it's not always rosy. Now, he tries to to put an optimistic bent on a lot of stuff, but he's not shy, you know, when it comes to criticizing the organization. And, again, I think that may have been the – you know, the the reason why there had been some friction in the past. I've always believed, and I still do to this day, that he should be employed by the team. Uh, you know, I don't know if they've discussed that through the years or not, but he should be an ambassador or spokesperson for the team uh, for a number of different reasons. And, you know, we can go into the details of his career. You know, people uh, who aren't Joe Namath fans will, will say he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, will point to different statistics. And, and what I'll say to that is he obviously uh, – was uh, the leader of the team that uh, accomplished the most in the history of the franchise. Uh, I'll also say that he was ahead of his time uh, in terms of passing because there was a time uh, early in his career when he threw for 4,000 yards, and that was unheard of. It's not, it's not like today when, you know, you've got, what, 10, 15 quarterbacks, you know, half the league thrown for 4,000 yards, some guys even thrown for 5,000. Well, this was back in the late 60s when, you know, that wasn't commonplace. Uh, and even when you when you look at his year-by-year stats, I know he threw a lot of interceptions. I mean, that's what a lot of people point to. I get it. But, he, you know, he was a, an aggressive player. Uh, and, again, when he was healthy and younger, he was uh, maybe ahead of his time in terms of, uh, you know, trying to push the envelope through the air. And, I, you know, I, I've done enough reading and, and watched enough uh, documentaries and, and, you know, TV stories to – to get a pretty good handle on uh, just how important he was to the franchise, how important he was clearly to the AFL, and uh, you know what he has meant to this organization. And you know, like I said, it's, it hasn't always been peaches and cream with the, the Jets and uh, and Joe Namath, but uh, you know the fact that he's frank and he's real uh, that always you know resonates with me, and I think it resonates frankly with a lot of people. And, and one of the most underplayed things, I know I'm rambling here, but one of the most underplayed parts of the Joe Namath storyline, uh, probably, I don't even know if it makes the top 100, but uh, something that I clearly remember as a kid growing up was his guest appearance on The Brady Bunch, one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> Legendary, no question about it. I still remember that one. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I might have it on the DVR from the reruns that they play on Antenna TV because I remember seeing in the description that it was the Namath episode, so I wanted to make sure that I had it to watch whenever I wanted, because as you said, Joe Namath has such a special place in Jets history, forever going to be a Jet, no matter what, an all-time legend. 
another all-time legend that the Jets had in their midst for many, many years, who is not technically under their employ anymore, but still shows up quite a bit to be around the team and is a goodwill ambassador of sorts unofficially, is my good friend Connie Carberg, who also is celebrating a birthday, first female scout in the NFL. She shares a birthday with Joe Namath. Connie is absolutely one of the best people on earth. She knows and loves her football like nobody's business, and she's done so much for the progress of women in professional sports. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Connie, we all love you. Happy birthday. I wanted to ask you one other thing, Manish. C.J. Mosley, we've talked about him a lot and the impact that he could have on this Jets defense coming back from injury. We saw the impact that he had at least in the bulk of that first game before he got injured and what he could mean to this team. But Daniel Jeremiah took it a step further. As of this day... Daniel Jeremiah has picked C.J. Mosley to be his comeback player of the year. What are your thoughts on that? You think he's got a shot to win that? Uh, sure. Why not? He, you know, he's a four-time Pro Bowler uh, <laughs> prior to last year. He made the Pro Bowl in all but one year of his career, so he's a high-level player, and if he's healthy, uh, I, I, you know, he should definitely be in the consideration. I, I, you know, off the top of my head, I, I don't know who else would kind of fit the bill, uh, but, yeah, he's got as good a chance as anyone else if he's healthy. You know, I don't think he, he's, he's any, he hasn't lost his football acumen. And that's part of what made uh, C.J. Mosley such an impactful player in his career. He's an extremely smart player. And you need to be extremely smart to play his position at the inside linebacker spot. Instincts, getting the team lined up right pre-snap, uh, being good enough physically to make things happen post-snap. Uh, and we clearly know that last year was all about not being healthy. It's not as if he lost any kind of step or uh, you know didn't fit into the scheme. This is all about his his groin, sport turnier, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's not something to sneeze at. It's again not an ankle injury or a broken bone that heals up quickly. So I'll be interested, as I'm sure CJ will be as well, to see how his body responds. But if he is indeed fully healed, absolutely. Uh, he should be in consideration for comeback player of the year because, again, uh, we're dealing with a, a top-quality defensive coordinator in Greg Williams and an extremely smart, accomplished player uh, who's only 27 years old, by the way, in C.J. Mosley. So, yeah, I, I think that that uh, he's got as good a chance as anyone uh, you know, to get back to the level that he was at in Baltimore. And, and just real quick uh, – uh, just to piggyback what you said about Connie, Connie is one of the most optimistic Jets fans I've ever been around. Uh, she's always in a good mood. She is the epitome of diehard fan. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who follow the team around, uh, you know, people that go to home and road games, but uh, you know, all of those people are probably in the same class uh, classification as as Connie because Connie. Is as devout as they come when it comes to the Jets. She's always looking at the glass three quarters full, and uh, she's a joy to be around. She comes to training camp. Uh, she comes to games. She's uh, you know she's just like a uh, you know I'm probably just reiterating what you said. She is one of the best people that I have encountered uh, since covering this team over a decade ago. And let me tell you a little bit about. What makes Connie tick? I'll never forget she was recovering from a surgery, and I texted her to ask her how she was doing, and she said, it's great. 
I'm here with my feet up and I've got my seven TVs on and I'm watching USC and Michigan. She just wanted to watch football and that's the beauty of it. She loves football so much and that she got to live her dream and break all those barriers is amazing. And now the fact that, as you said, Manish, she gets to be around here and spread the joy and her love of the Jets. I think it's something that should be more contagious for Jets fans because, as you said, she's eternally optimistic. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't look and see the flaws when they exist, but I love the passion that she has for this team. It's so hard to replicate. In fact, I'd say it's impossible to replicate And it's really authentic as well. Last order of business, Manish, I wanted to talk about Frank Gore a little bit. Jets beat legend Randy Lang, who now works for the Jets, had the opportunity to catch up with Frank Gore, and I thought this was interesting. He said all the right things, if nothing else. He said that Gase called him and said, I want you to come in here and just be that guy that you've always been, the guy that is first in the building and last to leave, the one who sets the example for the younger players, works his butt off. And Gore said he was happy to be that guy, said he's looking forward to working with Le'Veon Bell and understands that he's a complimentary back or really, I guess, second fiddle or third fiddle because he also talked about tutoring the young running back, LaMichael P. Ryan. And then I thought this was especially interesting, Manish. He said that he was debating whether or not he should come back for this season, whether he had it in him. And he said his son, Frank Jr., is the one that he consulted. And he said, what do you think? And his son said, Dad, I think you got one more season left in you. And that's when he decided to come to the Jets. So I think that it's still a bit of a confusing signing. But if nothing else, the Jets are getting exactly what has been advertised A guy who's older, not at the peak of his powers, but somebody who's going to come in here, set a great example, and be an exemplary teammate and leader. It seems like that's really what they're looking for, and anything beyond that would be a bit of a bonus. Well, I think the Frank Gore discussion is multi-layered. First and foremost, uh, he's an extremely prideful and competitive person. He would not have survived uh, in the NFL at his position for this long. Uh, To be a 36-year-old running back... (laughs) Is in, in the year 2020 is remarkable. So he deserves kudos for that. Absolutely uh, an extremely competitive guy. A guy who, in you know, from what I was told right after he signed uh, and, and even what he said in his first public remarks or among his first public remarks, uh, he thinks he's got more left in the tank. And he was not particularly pleased with how the Bills uh, used him in the second half of last year. And, and we had discussed this before, Scott. You know, his usage dropped about a third, I think. Uh, he thought he had more to offer. Clearly, the Bills wanted to hand things over to Devin Singletary, the younger running back. Uh, so I, I fully believe that Frank Gore came here to not only be, uh, you know, a positive influence uh, in the locker room, but to be more than that to not just be a cheerleader. He is going to play. He's going to play a decent amount. I'm not thinking that he's going to play 50% of the snaps. Uh, I, I don't think any of that is going to happen. But uh, you know, he's just not going to be a token player. He's going to get his opportunities. And when things get tough, what do people do, uh, generally speaking? They lean on the familiar. And Frank Gore is familiar to Adam Gase. So Adam Gase will turn to Gore when it matters, uh, not every time, but sometimes. It's probably a gut feel with Gase, but he trusts Gore. Uh, I think he certainly trusts Gore more than he does Le'Veon Bell. So there's no disrespect to Frank Gore's competitiveness, 
and his uh, you know, positive influence uh, in the building. I, I don't think anybody can debate that. What I thought, however, uh, what I thought was troublesome was what Joe Douglas and uh, I, I guess Gase has not talked publicly, uh, but was specifically, or maybe Gase has to the, to the team website, but uh, what I don't understand the Jets brass doing is pointing out the need to mentor LaMichael Pirine, uh, you know, Gore's terrific influence that they, uh, they they believe he'll have on Pirine. I think that's absolutely true. I, I think that Gore would, will have a, a, a positive influence on, on Pirine. Uh, I'm just looking at it from the, the other side of, the, of this discussion, if I'm Le'Veon Bell and I'm an accomplished star player, uh, you know, at one point arguably the best player at his position, uh, to me that's a slap in the face. If I'm in his shoes, I'm thinking you're going out of your way to talk about how P. Ryan needs this uh, veteran mentorship. Well, how about me? Well, why can't I provide that mentorship when I've done it before to a young back in Pittsburgh and James Conner? So that is the, the point of contention from an uh, off-the-field perspective. I think it's a slap in the face to Le'Veon Bell. Uh, you're basically saying that you don't think that having Bell in that running back room is enough for the young running back Pirine. You think you need someone to mentor Pirine. Uh, I, I, don't, I disagree with that fundamentally. I, I still disagree with that. It has nothing to do with what I feel uh, Frank Gore can offer to the team. Uh, but as we talked about also from an X's and O's standpoint, they needed a speed element. They needed a home run hitter, a guy who could take it the distance potentially any time he touches it. Frank Gore is not that player at the age of 36. He's obviously in the final year of his career. Uh, you know, you're not getting that, uh, you know, that 23-year-old Frank Gore you know, who rushed for almost 1,700 yards in his second year in the NFL. You're not getting that type of player. You're getting an older player who's not going to provide what you need in the backfield on Sundays. You need speed. You don't have speed. And adding Frank Gore did not give you speed. And, again, that's not disrespecting Frank Gore as the professional, as the, uh, the guy who could be a good influence to teammates, uh, as the hard worker. That's, it, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with making your team better on game days. Did the Jets do that? By bringing in Frank Gore, would they have been better served bringing in a different type of player with a different skill set? I completely agree with you on that, Manish, but I'm trying to live in the spirit of Connie since it was her birthday <laughs> and be overly optimistic. I do think that they would have been better served doing that. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I did like Frank Gore's words. He said all the right things. And if nothing else, I am confident that he's going to have a positive impact, at least as far as being a leader and in the locker room. So I'll hang my hat on that for now. Manish Mehta covering the Jets for the New York Daily News. Thanks so much for coming on. As always, really appreciate it. I know that right now everything's sort of up in the air in terms of what you're going to be writing at the Daily News. But I also know that you wrote a really good book review on something that's not football related. We talked about it last week, but for anybody who missed it, talk a little bit about the book review that you wrote. I know that it's your pinned tweet right now on Twitter as well. So if people haven't had a chance to check it out, they can. Well, it's called The Wax Pack. Uh, it's written by a college biology professor, actually. Uh, Brad Baluchigan, and uh, for the second time, I think I'm going to butcher his name because I think I butchered it the first time we discussed it, but it's a great concept. If, if anyone uh, collected baseball cards as a kid, uh, you know, as I did, uh, you, know how, how, you know how 
cool it was to open up a pack of cards and collect cards. Well, Brad opened up, uh, he bought an old pack of 1986 Topps cards and uh, and decided to find out what happened to each of the players in that pack. So he traveled across the country. Uh, there's, uh, there's former Mets involved, uh, and I think I mentioned that last time, Vince Coleman, Dwight Gooden, Lee Mazzilli. Uh, but this story is really about a lot more than baseball. Uh, fatherhood is probably the backbone of the story, uh, the players' relationships with their fathers, uh, their their relationships with their own kids. There's a lot of fractured relationships in there. I thought one particularly poignant chapter was uh, the Dwight Gooden chapter. Frankly, I mean, everyone seems to know everything about Gooden, but uh, you know this chapter is focused more on Dwight Gooden's oldest son, who actually lives with Doc, or at the time of the book lived with Doc. Uh, I think they, they, their bedrooms were across the hall from each other. He took care of Doc, and there's just a lot of poignant moments in terms of uh you know how father some of their fathers shaped their careers how some of their fathers embarrassed them how they embarrassed some of their own fathers so it's a, it's a very compelling read uh, hopefully baseball starts up in the next month or so we will find out <laughs> there's obviously a sticking point with money going on so we don't know if there's going to be baseball this season but if you love baseball uh and you really love stories about you know family and fatherhood and and uh and uh things that actually matter you know beyond baseball this is a great book it's just an interesting read it's written so well it's again this isn't uh a sports writer it's a a guy with a, a writing background from college i believe but uh brad is a college biology professor you know obviously i never heard of him prior to this book but i just thought it was so well done and it's such a creative idea frankly i'm very surprised that someone else didn't come up with this idea a long time ago but uh something that's worth reading uh, something that you can read extremely fast and there's a lot of life lessons in there that uh that i think will resonate i mean i it sure it certainly made an impact on me i'm not somebody who writes book reviews uh typically uh i love to read and i read a lot but uh, i don't you know go to my editors typically and say look i really want to uh write a review on this because i want to share with people you know, you know just how good this book was and why it was good. So, uh, if people get an opportunity, uh, it, it's a great Father's Day gift. But even if, if you don't do that, uh, you know, read it for yourself. It's, I, I think you'll learn a lot, uh, and maybe see a lot, uh, you know, similarities in your own life uh, from what this author uncovered uh, in these former players. If you haven't had a chance to check out Manish's book review, you can do that on Twitter. He's got a link up there. Or, of course, just go to the Daily News. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on the Jets.com.